listening to the Adam and Kyle podcast, where we hope to ignite inspiration through seeking the extraordinary and the ordinary. We will bring you episodes where we will let you in on our decades-long journey as friends and have conversations with guests about their passions, learning through lived experiences, and what challenges and excites them. Also, listen for bonus episodes that revolve around our shared love for music as we take a deep dive into our favorite bands, albums, and what we're spinning. Thanks for hanging out with us. Enjoy the show. And welcome to another episode of the Adam and Kyle podcast. And today we are welcoming our very first guest onto the show. He's an old friend of ours from from the high school days and a fellow music lover. He's had some success with his bands Trench Finger and Silent Army. And he released his very first solo album in April of this past year, appropriately titled Mudge. Please welcome to the show, Kyle Mudge. Hello, Kyle. What's up, everybody? How's it going? Good, good. How are you? It's good. Excellent. So stoked to be here. Like, you guys have no idea. I was like, I was telling my wife the, basically all week. I'm like, I'm so excited to talk to my old high school friends. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And not only talk, but we're actually going to like record it and then tell the whole world about it. So yeah, it's exactly. going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Everybody can just hear our sweet banter. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so it's like the first time we get together in 12 years and it's like, here, let's just broadcast it for the world or at least Cal- <laughs> calgary and bc to hear yeah pretty solid way to play catch up i suppose yeah i guess yeah i mean it's 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 better than like uh coronation street or something like that like <laughs> <it's> better <laughs> yeah. entertainment <laughs> yeah totally so well, hopefully we got some interesting things for people to listen to oh i'm sure we do so it's been we were we were saying before it's been like um since about since i don't think we've seen each other since high school is that right yeah dude, or a little like bit after it's probably a little bit after like i think we're at least sitting on a decade <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty scary mm-hmm. like we're all grown men now with lives and wives and yeah <laughs> yeah that's right i think kyle uh you and i ran into each other about six years back because i invited you to play a show with us over in calgary right so that's been yeah. a little bit less time, but we didn't spend a lot of time catching up. We were pretty much playing music and drinking beer, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being rock stars. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so essentially it hasn't That's changed cool. for Mudge at all. <laughs> no, yeah. no, pretty much still the same. Yeah. Less so, drinking. Yeah. <laughs> less drinking. The hangovers kill me now, so. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. Oh, that's good. And wh- where are you now, Kyle? You're in BC somewhere. 
Yeah, I live in uh, just outside of Shimanus and Ladysmith. I'm kind of right in between the two in a, a farming town called Saltair. Oh my god! On I, Vancouver Island. I haven't heard of any of those. Places, oh, you're on the so. island. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So I'm I'm south of Nanaimo and north of Duncan, kind of smack dab right in the middle. It's about half hour to each city. Okay, gotcha. I think my cousin's actually moving to that area in this summer, just as a side oh, note. Oh yeah. Irrelevant to everybody nice. here and everybody listening, <laughs> but she is. <laughs> well, my wife needs some new friends, so maybe they can link up. Yeah, cool, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so are you out there for uh, for work, or what brought you to the island? Kind of a, a bit of work. Like, I couldn't... Uh, I got out of school in June of 2019 as a journeyman plumber, and uh, I worked for nine months in Calgary, got laid off right before the pandemic happened, and hmm. basically I applied to, like, 200-plus jobs and never got a single phone call back. So. One, when I called out here, I got like five offers right away and took the first one because it sounded really great. But aside from work, um, I've got a lot of family out here and uh, nice. I've just always loved the island. I used to mm -hmm. vacation here for two months every summer until my grandparents passed. So yeah. it, um, it's a stunning, it kind of developed yeah. a place. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, it's so gorgeous. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it's like 20 degrees out right now. We've had flowers since February. Oh. <laughs> it's pretty cool <laughs> that's awesome i uh it's funny that you're you're a journeyman plumber i was actually just recently racking my brain for any plumbers i knew and i don't think i i didn't realize that you were a plumber but uh <laughs> I, I got a new washing machine and i couldn't get the old hose off the wall so i was phoning around trying to figure out how to get the hose off the wall and what ended up working was a hacksaw and a screwdriver so and the new uh, washer yeah. isn't even leaking so <laughs> <laughs> nice well innovation at its finest <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much what we do we just shake it till it comes off <laughs> and then just i charge. was worried about breaking really. the water line in my walls so the hacksaw was actually the better choice <laughs> yeah that makes sense yeah water's scary man it can cause so much damage i think that's probably my biggest fear as a plumber is like flooding someone's oh, yeah, house I, can imagine. I haven't right. done that yet knock on wood <laughs> Fair enough, man. Yeah, what are you guys doing these days? Like, I see a lot of your stuff uh, online. You post about cooking, Adam, but... Yep. Uh, but So are you a professional chef now? Uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say I'm professional, but um, I've done it for... The food looks pretty good. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been cooking in, like, in the restaurant industry since, like, I was 15 years old, so for quite a long time. But this past right. this past year well, was rough because the the pandemic was just so rough on on the whole industry, right? So since I've yeah, been no kidding. since I've been out in Winnipeg, actually, I haven't been I haven't worked at all. You're in Winnipeg. I'm in <laughs> I'm in Winnipeg just for the <laughs> just for the year. My wife's doing her uh, okay. her PhD out here at at the university. Oh, nice! Good for her. That's awesome. Yeah. So we moved out here September of last year and then we're moving back to bc to langley in august this year so just a couple months langley dude nice well that's wicked something to look forward to yeah definitely oh right, right in time for fall yeah that's like one of the most beautiful times of year out here mm -hmm. but hey now we have an excuse to go to the island yeah 
Totally. I have an excuse to go to the mainland too. <laughs> there you go. And I'm getting more and more excuses to visit the coast, which yeah. I love visiting. So <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. It's it's awesome, man. Super awesome. Yeah, so what are you doing now, Kyle? Uh well the, the pandemic's been hard on me as well, but uh I was running a uh sound production company called Phoenix Song Productions. And nice. uh yeah, and that was doing pretty well. It was kind of my side hustle to uh working as an electrical engineer. And then the pandemic hit and I was really busy engineering and not busy at all doing sound production up until November. And then from November until now, work has just been sporadic all over the place. Uh, but I actually just re- recently partnered with a guy down in Turner Valley. He owns a recording studio called Lick Studios. And we're, yes. cr- and we're creating a new company that's an amalgamation of Phoenix Song Productions and Lick Studios. And it's called Canadiana Music. And so we're making a mobile recording studio we're uh, going to be hosting some festivals. We're doing a lot of live streaming stuff, hosting lessons. Um, this space that I just showed you guys, um, I'm going to be renting it out uh, as a rehearsal space as well as like a studio for rent. And then nice. I, got a, I got a few other bedrooms in this house too that I'm going to be uh, utilizing for that as well. And so, and then we're looking at like basically trying to do artist first production and management, uh, like merch management and uh, trying to find funding for people to record albums and that sort of stuff from people that have money because musicians don't have money yeah that's <laughs> such a good idea man holy smokes yeah we're, we're really excited about it and we're we're looking at a few different options um we're still ironing out the fine details we just got incorporated last week so uh, we're just figuring out the finer details of how we want to structure things moving forward but one of the ideas we're tossing around is um a lot of recording studios will negotiate royalties into the deal and so we're mm. looking at doing royalties as well, but less than other studios, but with the, uh, or sorry, uh, equal or the same, equal or a little bit more than other studios, but with the offer of shares in our company in return. So as our company grows, right. we could pay dividends to the artists back as well. Cool. Well, that's such a good idea. Cause I think honestly, like one of the, one of my biggest hurdles, at least musically is like, especially as a solo musician is trying to come up with enough scratch that I can go and record mm-hmm. an album. Cause it's like, you know, Definitely. anywhere from four to 700, a song sometimes, depending on who you go and, and oh, yeah. record with. Right. So no, absolutely. So, and we, we saw that as a problem and, and like Denny in, in his studio sees that commonly. And then uh, even for live music, uh, people just aren't paying musicians. And so a lot of the model that we're taking is getting like corporate sponsorships and creating a bursary for artists to utilize. And then we would pick artists and, and help them record albums with that bursaries and also putting on shows for like talent searches and that sort of thing. So, but it's all funded like it. by outside, outside people. So. Oh, that's so cool. Good for you, man. Ah, oh, thanks. Yeah. It's, it's been a lot of work, but, and, mm-hmm. and with having no other work, it's been good timing, but also starting a company costs a lot of money. So money is a yeah kind of fucked Gotta up. Got to spend right money now. to make money. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, what a what a better time to do it when you've got all the time in the world. You know. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Wicked. Right on. So Kyle, I was uh, or Mudge. I'm going to refer to you as Mudge this whole time because we've got two <laughs> Kyles on. So this is a little. It'll be less confusing, I think, for people. Um, Which Kyle? Kyle who? <laughs> it's weird. My my middle name's actually Mudge, so I might get confused too. Oh yeah, well you know. <laughs> oh man, it's a funny story actually. Just just a little side note. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I recently discovered, since I've been out here, there are three places that I know of right now that possess my last name. Really? So there's Mudge Island, there's Mudge River, and then there's Cape Mudge, all of which were discovered by uh, Captain Cook, who was actually, (laughs) like, he was, like, murdered in the Hawaiian Islands. But my... Uh, my ancestor, William Fitzwilliam Mudge, terrible name. William um, Fitzwilliam. Was, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's incredible. For real, that was his name. So he, uh, he traveled as Captain Cook's first mate, so all of these islands were named after him. So you're telling me you're so, the king of Victoria of the Vancouver <laughs> Island, and and you've got no scratch to record an album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it worked that way, but yeah, I have no no land possession under my name somebody <laughs> somebody actually purchased mudge island so you can buy it if you have the money but hmm. somebody purchased it a couple of years ago which is pretty crazy wow. gotcha. i yeah, sense a i sense a concept <laughs> album here in the future for you you can write all about yeah, captain yeah. cook and william fitzwilliam adventures <laughs> yeah well I don't, it didn't end very well for captain cook he ended up getting like stabbed to death by hawaiian natives when he went through the Hawaiian Islands. So he, he met an untimely demise, hmm. but uh, my ancestor, I think, went on to become a captain, which is pretty cool. See, there nice. you go. There's the, there's the end of the story. That's it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you think it's going to end with yeah, tragedy? And then, and then, nope, old Fitzwilliam got the, nope. got the captaincy. Promotions in there. <laughs> yeah, right exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, Mudge, I was trying to think back to back from like our high school days even just to like how we first met and stuff like that and do you remember much about that time you know i've been thinking about that too and it like completely escapes me but i'm i'm pretty sure that we met in like social class grade 10 maybe something like that Uh and but i do i do remember certain times where like back then i was quite the you know, the truant, as they call them. I just, I was at school, but I was never in school. You know what I mean? So anytime anybody had spares, you could catch me at the YMCA hanging out with them, listening to music. And I remember a couple times where you had introduced me to bands like, uh, like Coheed and Cambria. And the first time I ever heard Glass Prison by uh, Dream uh, Dream Theater Theater was with you. Okay. So I've I got some fond memories of those those times. Yeah, that sounds like me listening to Dream Theater back then. <laughs> yes. And showing, the last prison was all the rage. Yeah, and showing everyone was, I possibly yeah. could. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like I I definitely uh I definitely remember you guys jiving on music mm-hmm. pretty hard, which was pretty sweet. And then we had we had a couple mutual friends too, like um Megan Tebow. Yeah was one of the friends probably like that might have held some connection to how we met too i can't quite recall how i met both and of you josh guys. morrison All I know is it was in that josh morrison i actually lived with him i lived with him for uh a year and a bit hmm. we had a band house <laughs> the, the last time i saw i saw him was actually also the last uh concert I've, I've gone to since this pandemic started and i ran into him at alexis on fire in bc Oh, no way. For their reunion show. That must show. have been such a sick concert. Oh, man, it was incredible. They were so good. He's, 
He's living out here. He lives in Vancouver now. Yeah, he's jacked now. We'll get yeah. there. Yeah, he's pumping mad iron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then were you yeah. uh, in high school, were you in any of the, like, I can't re- actually remember if you were in a band. Were you, did you do, like, any of the Battle of the Bands or I, anything that Bob did? I didn't. I remember watching them, like... Uh, mm-hmm. Aaron Rebecco's band. I don't know if you guys remember him. He played with his metal band. I'm. Pre- didn't you guys play that? We did. And then anything, uh, anything but leftovers. I think took the cake on that one. Like they, they were kind of like the older guys band, and they, they were pretty heavy rocking. But I do remember watching that show in the gathering okay. area. I don't think that I ever played a show in the gathering area until I graduated. Like I did play in the gym at Bishbo Burn, but I don't remember ever playing in the gathering area until oh, after have, I graduated. Kyle, we would have played in the gathering area with um Aesopian. Where we did that like Yeah, a, but that was after we, That was after we graduated. That was cuz we went back for cuz Jaden and Spencer were there. That's right. You yeah. guys got to rock a high school show after high school. Yeah, That's yeah we cool. did. We were super cool. We're still super cool. Super cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never, I never had the chance to play any of those because at the time, like, I, I did have a band, if you even want to call it that. It was more or less just a bunch of dudes that thought they could play guitar trying to make terrible music, and, and it didn't really work out, but we were called Tomato Bisque. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Amazing. that actually rings a bell, Kyle. I, not that we ever saw you, but like I remember you talking about it because I remember the name Tomato Bisque being a really funny band name. <laughs> yeah, it was it was out to lunch, but I I mean really it 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 wasn't much of a band. I didn't actually start getting into really playing music like trying to be an artist until I was I think nineteen or twenty was I think okay. the first time I had a band and that was uh it was an acoustic trio called City Life the City Life project Oh okay I don't remember that Yeah honest, we had but... like it was kind of like a just a a little project that we had put together like 20 original songs over the course of a year and we had a regular gig at Cafe Rosso downtown so every hmm. other Friday we'd go there and like bring a bunch of people in it was actually really cool it was kind of like um, what's that band of monsters and men? Oh yeah, I think that kind of indie flave. Yep. But okay. yeah, it was pretty fun. Cool. What uh, what what changed after high school to get you pursuing music, like as an artist rather than a listener? I think just my love for the instrument and being able to express myself, because like, I've always had a hard time kind of getting getting the feelings out. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. one of those, you know, typical man, I hold it all inside until I blow up, and then I'm like, you know, it just doesn't bode well. So I I started playing guitar when I was 12, but I didn't really start, like, getting super into it until I was 16, and then I didn't actually start, like, writing songs until I was probably 21, and that was actually pushed by the City Life Project. So without them, Hmm. I wouldn't be where I am today at all. Very but cool. yeah, Very it was cool. it was more or less just to get get the emotion out some way, tell people what I wanted to say without actually telling them, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's that's so cool. So do you find uh, do you find like lyrics are are the best way for you to do that? Like me personally, like I, I'm the same as you. I find it hard to really express emotion, but 
I find that usually like listening and playing, it's the music and the whole feel that gets me. It's not generally the lyrics, which is why I'm not a very good songwriter. Mm. Uh, but like, is that different for you? Is that what kind of leads your lyrics or what's what? It can be. I mean, it sort of depends on the song. Like some of the, mm. some of my songs I have written in a car, I'll write the lyrics out and kind of, have an idea for what I want to say mm -hmm. and then the the riffing comes after but then sometimes it's the opposite and I'm inspired by the guitar riff and that brings the lyrics out in me it's kind of strange but it always happens just in a moment yeah. where I'm kind of inspired by something very cool cool yeah yeah it's 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 a nice way to get things out, but it like I find inspiration just kind of comes randomly. It's never really when you expect it to be, and mm -hmm. any time that it's planned, it just doesn't work. It sounds fake. Mm. Totally. <laughs> Which I think is why I'm not a very good songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, though, like for me personally, like my strengths definitely lie on like the production side of things. Like I'm really good at taking a song and really like embellishing it and, and getting cool ideas and arranging it differently and mm -hmm. playing with that. I'm really good at uh, taking other people's ideas and developing them, but uh, I'm not much of a inspirational creative person myself <laughs> well that's that's all an art in itself too like just yeah. being able to to see like the bigger picture i think you know yeah. like any producer that or like engineer that has ever worked with like a massive band or any band really for that matter you kind of you kind of gear the song to where it's going to go they can come up with a structure but having those like changes work properly and effectively totally. is like we need guys like that, that's you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's why having... I've a... always found my place in a band for that, so... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's why having a good producer is so, so important, for sure. Because, yeah, I, if you, again, going back to, like, Dream Theater, I actually just read their, their, like, autobiography. And... Oh, yeah. The whole, like, their first half of their career, they were, like, changing producers every single album and they never felt like they could find their their flow or they felt that their producer was kind of taking over the end of the session and and they just weren't happy with it, it. Be, and then it would be so hard to be a producer for that band though like <laughs> <laughs> like they yeah. are so crazy with all of their riffing and the like the time signatures and all yeah. of that stuff like i mean you would really have to be quite talented in what you're doing mm -hmm. and have like a really solid musical knowledge to like even be on a level that you're able to do that for yeah them. so totally. i could see why yeah you know? well that's that's why for the last 20 years they've self-produced so there you go yeah makes sense mm -hmm. i mean they're pretty much the only guys that can do it yeah. <laughs> um have you always going back to the your your lyricism and stuff have you always have you done that for all of your bands like even like projects like trench finger and silent army and stuff like that were you always kind of the main lyric writer um well it's kind of back and forth actually because silent army um we started off kind of as a separate entity okay um we had a singer and another guitarist and I just really wasn't happy with how the band was going. So I was kind of, I asked the bassist and the drummer to leave with me and they came with me and then I became a lead singer and lead writer for that. Um, 
And then trench finger was kind of a different story because I wanted to work on honing my skills as a guitar player as opposed to okay. a lyricist and a, a singer because I felt like, well, one, I had done that already and it was really fun, mm -hmm. but I feel like when you're the front man and a, the main songwriter in a band, there's a lot of pressure on you. And when you're... You know, any anybody gets writer's block from time to time, and when that happens, the band is really looking on you to try and push things forward, and mm -hmm. it, it was, that was hard on me, actually, in Silent Army. So Trenchfinger, I got to step back and, uh, and just focus on guitar. However, I did write one song for that band um, called Fucker, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was kind of actually about a, like a falling out with my drummer from Silent Army. Who also was in Trenchfield. Okay. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of happening happening simultaneously, those those two bands then? Yeah, yeah. It kind of bled over for a point. Like Silent Army was kind of we were weaning off a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, we hadn't written anything in a little while, and I was finding inspiration with another buddy, and he asked me to join a band. So at the same time, we did that. So my drummer actually played for Silent Army and Trenchfinger for a time until he, uh, he ended up getting fired from both. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good guy, but not a people person, so... <laughs> that happens and yeah. well we all as we all know like bands are literally relationships with three to four other dudes most times and it's mm -hmm. uh yep. it's complicated like it it there's a lot of give and take and a lot of compromise and you got to communicate and, like it's, it's the same as having a romantic relationship it's just you don't get to sleep together at the end of the day yeah <laughs> well, exactly not if you want that's the best way to put it so true i'm like i mean you can i mean yeah but... no, there's nothing against it but it just generally doesn't happen yeah. <laughs> no not that there's not anything wrong with not that typically yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah because kyle actually kyle actually fired me from one of our bands once before so i what? don't know if he knew that really yeah i didn't know that that's news yeah one of our very first bands it was called hazards of society and uh oh yeah I don't know if you remember, it was at Bishop Burn. We did play a battle of the bands in the garage. We played um, POD and we played The Offspring and we played Children Presidents of the, of the United Damned? States. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, that one. no, we, yeah. Right. But, uh, anyways, that, that was the band that, uh, yeah, we, we chose to go a different direction at, and so we had to have a tough conversation with yeah, just, Adam at that point. Just fucking gave me <laughs> well, the Well, that's always hard. I, I myself have been fired from a band too, so don't feel bad. We, I think we all have to go through it at least once before we figure out where where we lie. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. In the hierarchy of bands. That's right. Yeah. I, well, I, I was fired from that same band a couple of years later. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, karma sucks. Yeah, yeah no exactly. <laughs> yeah. He got what was coming to him. Yeah, no doubt. You you lie in the bed that you make there, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> So the moral of the story is never fire anyone again. Just keep doing what you're doing and just yeah, hold your just hold stay your unhappy forever. Yeah. yeah, and then hopefully it <laughs> yeah. works itself out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's great motivation to keep the band going. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Adam, did you have any more on that on that topic that you wanted to dig into? Uh, I think. No, I think we can move on from that. I think I, I okay. had a, I had a couple questions about like Silent Army and and Trenchfinger and kind of the history there, but you kind of you kind of dove into it a little bit. So 
Unless there's anything yeah, well, else you I can, wanted to... I can give you a little bit more if you want, like, kind of... I'll, I'll try and keep it short, because they're sort of long stories, I guess, but... Uh, I mean, whatever you want to indulge, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so when City Life disbanded, we kind of were all moving in different directions. Isha, um, who was kind of the main vocalist for that band, he was moving back to Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. which is where I met him. And then Sam was going on her other project as well. So we kind of just separated and I was getting bored and wanted to find a band. Mm-hmm. So I put an ad out on Kijiji and I found like, I don't know, I probably got like 20 messages and it's funny actually, because my drummer at the time, the same guy I wrote the song about, um, he messaged me or his girlfriend messaged me or something on, on this Kijiji ad. Hmm. And they were like, yeah, we just moved from Vancouver Island and we're like, you know, looking for stuff to do. And it turned out he didn't even have a drum kit. So he's (laughs) like, bro, like I'm this really, really great drummer, but I don't have a drum kit. (laughs) Hmm. So I was like, okay, like whatever, like get a drum kit and we'll see what happens. And it turned out that he was actually like a phenomenal drummer. So, um, it kind of carried off into that other band. He said he knew a couple people that had moved from the island. So we joined that and my buddy Sleaze, I had jammed with also off Kijiji ads separately, like mm-hmm. six months before I met Rob. Okay. So we got together and, uh, formed this band with a female front woman. And, uh, she, she wanted to call the band the weave, like a hairpiece. <laughs> Okay. And, and that, that like essentially like put the nail in the coffin for me. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be in the weave. Like I'd rather form something else. So I asked the boys to leave and, and we formed silent army. And then three years later, as the story goes, we, uh, were kind of falling apart. And then my buddy Brian asked me to be part of trench finger and the rest is kind of history there. So okay. that's the short version. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. Every every story's got a short version, a long version. So, of of course, you gotta <laughs> p- pick your audience, right? <laughs> yeah. Totally. So, like from uh, from that point on, you kind of you had this inspiration to do this uh, uh, solo album. I was kind of curious. Like, you've you seem to be making a little bit of waves in in the industry. And what kind of habits and practices have been like most instrumental in getting you where you are today? And like, what's kind of motivated you to go solo after you know having some falling outs well to answer your last question first um i think my motivation for going solo really was the 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 fallouts Hmm. like as much as i loved the camaraderie of being in a band and like utilizing everybody's talents and skills and brains because everybody thinks so much differently um mm-hmm. like i as much as i loved that it was also super complicated like there were too many guys that really wanted to kind of lead the band mm-hmm. and i find there's got to just be one somebody's got to take the lead and as you were saying there always has to be compromise and stuff like that but uh but there kind of has to be like a band leader that sort of vetoes decisions like a dave Grohl totally. or a chad kroger of nickelback you know like that kind of thing so so that uh, that's why I decided to go solo, hmm. as well as I find I get more done because you're always clashing with people's schedules, mm-hmm. and that is uh, 
that's a tough one too. Like with Trenchfinger, a lot of the reason we disbanded was because my drummer is in two signed bands, Riot City and Traveler, and he tours Europe all the time. Hmm. And uh, I mean, he's probably the most professional musician I know. And that was really tough because we could never tour. It always conflicted with his schedule. So, right. um, so that was hard. And then my, my singer moved to Australia. And then I also kind of wanted to just like see if I could do stuff myself. You know, like yeah, I've, I've always wanted to be able to write like write a whole album and play everything myself. So that's still on the bucket list because I didn't quite make it there on the Mudge album, but yeah. I did most of everything myself. So cool. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, I guess, like, as far as work ethic and such goes, like, what what about like habits and practices? Like, is, is there anything that you do in your daily routine that you feel has brought you to where? Like, if you were to reflect back on your on your musical history, what what do you think is instrumental in how you got to where you are? Practice, bro practice i like i literally like it's cliche but it's so true time it is man i i literally i find time every day doesn't matter if it's even 10 minutes Mm -hmm. like if i'm in a rush or whatever it doesn't matter i'm gonna pick up my guitar for at least 10 minutes a day and i find that as long as you do that you become surprised because your your fingers just know what they're doing Mm -hmm. and over time you like I come up with most of my riffs on the fly in a random practice scenario where I'm just jamming something out, seeing how it feels. And then it just comes out. So without doing that, I wouldn't have like any songs really. Right. Right. So there's that. And then also I think just honing your craft, like Mm -hmm. having the drive to, uh, to get better yourself as a musician and challenge yourself, I think is essential. So you got to grow in order to, uh, to fulfill that. And you always, I feel like you never actually quite meet that goal because you always want to get to the next one. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. that drives me too. That's cool. a that's a saying actually I've heard coined uh, failing forward. You always set goals that like you, you, you are way outside. So, this is another Kyleism. This is another Kyleism. <laughs> uh, no, so so basically you set goals that are basically like way far fetched. But as long as you're pushing for it, even if you fail to meet that goal, you've still improved. And then you set your next goal. And you say, right? And you always fail yeah. forward. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> what was so it, speaking of like trying to always push yourself and move forward, what were what was some of that motivation with like this solo album? Like what were you trying to do to kind of push yourself? Well, I wanted to I wanted to write everything. I wanted to like structure out songs and and put out a full length because I've put out a bunch of EP, EPs, mm-hmm. excuse me, and never, never a full length album. So that was a huge motivation. I wanted to get at least like nine, ten songs kind of thing put into one place, but also um, to be multi genre. Like yeah. most of where I've sat in music is just like hard rock and um, like grungy feeling kind of alternative stuff. But now. I mean, like on that last album, I have some country blues sort of sounding stuff. Mm-hmm. I've got a pop song I did with my wife. Um, I've got some hard rock and grungy songs on there as well. But it was kind of just like to see what I could do where I'm not in my like little niche. Totally. Cool. I, 
I definitely noticed that on the album. I noticed that it it, mm-hmm. it crossed a few genre boundaries, and I I like that personally. I like when people push those boundaries. So it was, uh, but it still as an album flowed really well. So kudos for that. <laughs> well, thanks, Ben. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping that it would. I mean, that was a that was kind of a scary thing for me to jump jump through those hoops, you know, because I'd never really done that before. Yeah. But it was kind of nice because now. Being that that's like my first solo album, I don't really have to go, oh, I have a sound. Yeah. It's just, I, sure. I can play whatever I want to now. Totally. Yeah. Cool. So I, I, was, I was curious, uh, Kyle, a while back when you were, I believe you're still with Silent Army, you hosted that uh, music festival and the name is escaping me. I, I still Junk Fest. Junk Fest. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember it was like it was it was clearly a grunge festival. Like the name was like this is a grunge festival. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh but what kind of like inspired you into organizing that festival and like what were the biggest challenges, wins and learnings from doing that? Well, I always wanted to do something like that because I found like one of the things that I never loved about going and joining on bills with shows or like other bands set up those shows. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm like speaking gibberish here. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, so when other bands were booking the shows, I was never always happy with like the lineup mm-hmm. or, or when a bar like brings you on, they'll put you with like one act that just really doesn't fit and they will be like the opener and everybody leaves. Totally. And totally. you're like, ah, oh, yeah. like this kind of sucks. So I wanted to like, I wanted to hand pick, Calgary bands that I liked and enjoyed listening to and that I was friendly with. And I thought that, uh, that doing a festival would be great for that, but I can't take all the credit myself for that either, because there was so many people like Mm -hmm. I was in a, um, anti-bullying motorcycle group called bikers are buddies. I love that group. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of them a lot. They're so cool, man. (laughs) Yeah. So they, uh, I got linked in with them through my singer and trench finger, Mitch, and together we came up with the idea for the music festival and wanted to donate all the proceeds to Bikers Are Buddies to help kids uh, who have been bullied and help Rad. them do what they, they do, right? So, yeah. um, so it was a way to give back to the community through music, but, um, but without half of the crew for Bikers Are Buddies, like I never would have been able to do it. Like My buddy Kevin McMahon smoked... Uh, roast beef and pulled pork so different meals each year he did all of the barbecue for that and then we had two of the members ran a food truck so that everybody could eat because obviously food's essential when you're going out somewhere Mm -hmm. and uh um and then the land was probably the hardest thing to find but we had another buddy in the group that had a junkyard just outside of calgary that he was willing to let us do this on so that was like a huge hurdle there Mm. um and we even had a green room like there's a a a workshop trailer that was on the land, so that the bands actually had like a green room to hang out in before they went on stage, so they didn't have to like be part yeah. of the crowd and they could just chill. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a lot of people, man. But like the biggest hurdles, truly, I think were were finding the land and making sure that we had bathrooms and food for people. Because I mean, if there's Anytime you go somewhere, there's nothing worse than like being hungry at somebody's house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you're going to chill, chill with somebody and you're like starving. And that, like, m- for me, that's like my biggest motivator to be like, okay, bro, I got to go home. 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah so, we're ordering so, pizza or I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, finding those things to accommodate everybody and to be able to make it happen was, was huge. Cool. That's awesome. But you can do it yourself. Anybody can do this. All, like, all it really takes is just like get a good team together, have a plan, and initiate it. Like yeah. For us, both junk fests that we did, um, we made it happen in six weeks both times. It was like wow. last-minute stuff. Whoa. Yeah. That's impressive, especially when you talk about like the infrastructure side of it, like the land and the bathrooms and the food. <laughs> like yeah. ba- bands you could pull together last minute, <laughs> PA you could pull together last minute, you know, even stage yeah. you could pull together last minute, like a minute an audience, but like mm-hmm. infrastructure, man, is tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that definitely made all of the difference. So big thanks to uh, to my buddy Trev Casper for that one because he uh, he's the one that pulled the land together. He actually had trailers too, like semi truck trailers, flatbeds. Oh yeah. So we put two of them back to back, and that was what our stages were. So we had Classic like actual yeah. full on <laughs> stages with drum risers and the whole thing. It was beautiful. Cool. Nice. Awesome. That sounds like it was a lot more successful than the Fire Festival. <laughs> well, it that? was it was okay. <laughs> what, what was the Fire Festival? Is I don't it, know what the reference that's, is. That's that one that never happened, right? Like it was like they Yeah, it, it's they on had, uh, like, if you if you want a like a really interesting and kind of just hilarious watch, it's on Netflix. And it's the it's a little documentary about um I think it was Jaw Rule. Oh, I did hear about this. Yeah, that was on the private guy. island. Yeah, yeah, okay. and they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, okay. just like they marketed <laughs> the hell out of this thing, and then it was supposed to be like the the biggest festival in the entire world, and then, but yeah, they were trying to do like and a ton of happened. ton of last minute <laughs> stuff, and then people showed up and paid tens of thousands of dollars, and they put them in like tents and gave them like <laughs> cheese sandwiches and oh. stuff like that, and it just was a complete dis- <laughs> complete disaster. Oh, that's horrendous, especially from big people yeah. like that. Like you could <laughs> not what you expect. That's for sure. I didn't okay. actually realize much that you that you put two of those on. Two junk fests. Yeah, yeah, we did it. Uh, we did it back to back. So the first one was kind of just like we had this plan that we wanted to do it. And then the second one, um, the reason that one was also only six weeks is we got notified that our singer was essentially getting deported. His hmm. visa ran out in Canada, and he overstayed it by like three or four weeks. Oh boy! Um, so he actually was like fugitive in the <laughs> in the country. He wasn't <laughs> allowed to be here. Um, so when we got the news, it was like the next day we started working on Junk Fest so that we could Riddle. release the Trench Finger Two album. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, but super rewarding. I mean, like putting yeah. together that whole thing. I mean, for us. Not only was it like giving back to the community, but we got to headline both totally both jump yeah. fest, which was just unreal. Very so, cool. what was the yeah? Uh, what was the main reason for there not being a junk fest three? Well, trench finger disbanded, right? Um, because like when my it was kind of complicated because when my singer left. He left Canada for nine months, and like as I was telling you before, Chad, my drummer, um, he had two signed touring bands, and um, he was going with that. And then we kind of all lost interest. Like we weren't sure if Mitch was coming back. And then when he finally did get back, we were all busy doing our other things, and hmm. um, and it just didn't make sense to do it without 
the band being able to play. Okay. Because, like, like, for me, that was, like, my biggest reward. Like, for doing the whole thing, it was, like, I got to play a show, and that was really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I would absolutely do it again if, uh, if the circumstances worked out. I would definitely throw another junk fest. Cool. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that can happen, especially once this whole pandemic thing kind of settles down a little bit. Yeah, I think we need more live music in our lives, don't we? Yeah, speaking of which... There was just yesterday released a big grant for live musicians in Alberta. So sorry hmm. to you guys in BC and Manitoba, <laughs> but, but uh, uh, individual musicians are eligible for up to 1500 bucks for micro grants and uh, companies that are involved in live music are eligible up to 25 grand. So wow. it was like $2 million budget that was put together with the federal government and Alberta music, uh, which is a, 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 a provincial department. Yep. And everyone's super stoked about it. It is project based, so you do have to produce something and prove that you produce something. But yeah. uh hmm. it's super exciting that they're dumping all that money into a bunch of people that really had no eligibility for other governmental assistance and are just really struggling. So that's the best. I'm so glad that they're doing something because there's too many musicians out there that really are like, you know, that it's like supplemental income for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yep. Going out and playing shows and doing all that kind of stuff. And it and it and it is hard to put together money to like go into the studio or like buy your own music gear if you want to produce yourself. Like That's it's right. so yep. expensive. It is. And and a lot of people are like not only using it as supplemental income, but a lot of people are using it as their primary income. Like think about music school teachers and and uh, and session players like they're really struggling right now because they don't fall into any category that the government has recognized so far. Right. So totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's unreal. Yeah. So that's good news for for Albertans. Uh, hopefully the <laughs> other provinces follow suit because uh, uh, it's really exciting here. So at least Alberta is doing something uh, right. <laughs> yeah no doubt <laughs> yeah yeah we get to sit back and watch yeah exactly <laughs> uh so so obviously like everybody has their own preferences in, in genre and, and i think that the three of us here all kind of you know listen to a lot of genres like i'm pretty open to just good music but yeah. I, like i well, tend to lean towards we are all wearing iron maiden guns and roses and led zeppelin t-shirts yes we are yeah but uh i'm just curious like for me personally like i tend to listen to more hard rock and metal that usually is my go-to and and kyle it appears for you it's it's grunge like what is it about grunge that inspires you like what is it that grabs you i think just the idea that all of these kids from seattle who had no hope whatsoever in (laughs) making making any sort of musical career out of it blew the whole world mm-hmm. upside down with their music. Like I just I think it's so amazing that there was that much talent located in that city and unbeknownst to the rest of the world at the time it was just like this like confluence of some of the biggest artists that have ever come out of America. Totally. Came from that one little one little place. And I I, I just I love the the angsty vibe to it but i also love the difference like you get bands like alice in chains who really kind of like marketed that dual lead singer harmonizing Mm -hmm. um you know put their stamp on that which was new and nobody had ever really heard that right style before and then like then you get like monster giants like soundgarden who were kind of 
almost like they were a lot of their stuff is really progressive. Mm-hmm. Like you, you won't hear anything like what they're doing anywhere else, which is kind of why I gravitated towards them and like the, and Chris Cornell in general, like they just, I was just amazed by what happened there and being a nineties kid, obviously that was like, you know, I don't know how many times I've heard fell on black days on the radio totally, (laughs) or black hole sun, you know, like all Mm -hmm. of these things are like just in your face when you're a kid. So yeah. 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 There's definitely a huge, um, like a huge, you mentioned a huge explosion with that kind of music. Cause I remember seeing somewhere that I think, um, I think like Allison changes dirt and, and Jeremy Pearl jams, uh, or 10 album. Sorry. Is yep. that one 10 album and then nevermind yep. and super unknown are like the four highest selling albums of that entire decade. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. It's pretty crazy, man. Yeah. Like that's a crazy statistic. When nevermind came out, yeah. I like, I'm pretty sure it like outsold like Michael Jackson and people at that point. It, I'm pretty sure it debuted at number one on the billboard hot 200 at the time. Oh, right yeah. over top of Michael Jackson, MJ was second in the bill. Like you can see all the chart. It's unreal. Yeah, unreal. Wow. And that album, dude, was recorded for six hundred bucks. Wow. The whole album, six hundred <laughs> oh, bucks. <God. laughs> well, leave it. Leave it to Kurt Cobain to do some incredible stuff with absolutely nothing. No doubt. Yeah. yeah just just blows my mind what those boys did and the fact that a lot of them are still doing that today like you look at dave grohl and he's like the coolest dude in rock and roll like you know i just watched that uh that new documentary that he does that's uh what drives us yeah i, I just and watched it's that so too good it's awesome right just amazing it yeah. made me want like, to I, I love seeing that yeah, it it's on my me... list no spoilers <laughs> yeah we won't spoil it but well i can tell you all it make made me think about is like my early silent army days and like hopping uh-huh. in a truck and going and playing shows elsewhere. And just the fact that like all of these m- monsters of rock did the exact same thing with their bands when they were kids. Like, yeah. cause you don't really look at them that way. Most of the time you just go, Oh, you got famous and, or you knew people or whatever. Like you just kind of assume your head goes that way. Mm-hmm. But like so many of these people actually really crunched and put in the time and like toured and just were dirty and gross and, <laughs> worked totally you know yeah. they just worked and yeah. that's what got them where they yeah. are and i think that's so cool that's funny when you're or like when i was in a band when we were in a band like in our early days like i had you obviously had those dreams of like oh you want to take a private jet and like fly everywhere and play all these giant <laughs> stadiums and then watching that yeah that documentary i was like man i just want to pile into a shitty van with all of my good friends <laughs> and just drive across the country and play like play to like six people in a bar like that's all it made yeah. me want to do no doubt yeah it's beautiful it's a beautiful thing it is so you got to watch it kyle <laughs> yes, uh, yeah it's on my list please I do. just haven't yet <laughs> he doesn't have time he doesn't have time to do any of this stuff because i keep giving him like Albums upon albums upon albums to listen to. <laughs> well, that's awesome. That and I just finished moving and I'm trying to start a company and like also trying to find income. And it's just, you know, it, there's a lot of things going that's on. That's all. That's all. I'll watch re- a movie eventually. <laughs> <laughs> well, watch it when you have time. 
we're going to throw to a little break here. So uh, when we come back from this little uh, ad break here, we're going to start diving into your solo album here a little bit. Wicked. The Adam and Kyle podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Song Productions. Phoenix Song Productions is an AV system provider and integrator specializing in live sound production and recording. Phoenix Song Productions also offers technical consultations, permanent installations, and rentals. Phoenix Song's newest offerings include live streaming consultations, on-site audio and video recording, as well as technical and creative education. Check our website at www.phoenixsongproductions.com for the next education or entertainment event. Follow us on social media. Check the show notes below for links to our website and all of our social pages. Back here with uh, Mr. Mudge here, William Fitzwilliam Mudge. No, I'm kidding. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's not me. That's not you. Ky- Ky- Kyle Fitzkyle Mudge. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. <laughs> Who came up with that name? Like, how do you look at a baby and be like, William Fitzwilliam? That's your name. <laughs> Maybe he was wearing like a onesie that was that said William on it, so it was like William Fitz William. Mm-hmm. Well, that that'd be clever. <laughs> yeah, good yeah. only for that day, but yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Because eventually he grows out of that. It doesn't fit William. Yeah, anymore. It says William yeah. doesn't fit Williams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dad jokes all around. All awesome. around. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so much. You released your latest album, your first solo album. It was April first, correct? Of this past year. Yeah. Right on yeah, April right. Fool's Day, hey. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's. Uh, I don't know why I picked that day, but I, I think uh, I think I picked it because it was like two or three months of promotion mm-hmm. from when I put it on TuneCore, my distribution thing that I use. Okay. Um. So it just gave me gave me time to do it, and I mean, April Fool's kind of it piques people's interest. Totally. Because maybe it's false, maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so you spoke you spoke a little bit previously kind of about where where the idea and inspiration came from to do this solo record. Uh, so I was a little more curious about a little bit about the recording process and what what that all entailed and um, how you recorded it, where you recorded it, um, and give us a little bit of insight as to how that came along and yeah. Sure. Um, well, I recorded it at AB Records with uh, with my good friend Tony Blaine. Um, he's a local Calgary guy that has a home studio but his home studio is like really legit and mm-hmm. uh and he's amazing at what he's done he's actually he recorded uh half of the silent army ep um the trench finger 2 ep he's done stuff for riot city and traveler who are my okay. drummers other bands like he's he's really really good and he's also like one of the only people i know that plays music full-time professionally hmm. his whole job is either producing in a studio or um touring with his uh he has like a what do you call it I don't want to call him a wedding band, but he plays weddings and he plays corporate events and he like. Okay. I I've been in the band like that. It's like cor- corporate yeah. wedding singers, but we do all sorts yeah. of like birthday parties and stuff. <laughs> totally, yeah. So he does that full time. So so yeah, I recorded at his studio, AB Records, and then um, I did it with so my drummer from Trench Finger, Chad Valier. Um, he came in, he banged out the drums in one session. Wow. All of them, all nine songs. He'd never even heard half of them before. He came in, gave him a listen, hmm. popped it out. And it was like so quick moving. So that was really, really cool. There's, hold um, on. Sorry. Before you, there's that one song that's got a really weird timing. You're telling me he like banged that out without hearing it previously? Yeah. Oh yeah, my dude. God. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the song, but it just, it like, it's got a really cool uh, arpeggiated guitar and the kick drum hits on very odd beats. Yeah, yeah, he just he pulled all of that out of his ass in one sitting. Uh, I think he heard two songs before, so yeah, he's he's a monster powerhouse drummer, man. He's so so good. Cool man. So so yeah, Chad came in and and uh, and did the drums in one session, and then my best friend Jordan, um, who is also just an absolutely phenomenal bassist, um, he did the same thing. He came in in one session had only heard maybe half of the songs and he did all of his stuff in about Jeez. four hours. Holy. So both of them just killed great, it. Great in players, there. yeah. Yeah, man. They're they're both really, really talented guys. And then the rest was uh was me and Tony. Like I played all of the guitar that you hear on hmm. um on the record except for one guitar riff in Mount Dumont. It's kind of like a poppy thing during the bridge section. Tony played that Mm -hmm. um, as well as the synths in that song, but everything else was me. I did all my own harmonies, all of my guitar, everything. Cool. Nice. Um, We used four different amps. We used uh, Mesa dual rectifier. We used my Marshall JVM 210H. Uh, we used an orange dark terror and we used uh, Hughes and Kettner, but I can't remember the model on that. Really nice cleans out of that huh. amp though. So that was cool. And I think I used three different guitars. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun though. I loved that, that part of it. And like uh, one of the cool things about that album and just the studio for me in general is I love to improvise. Mm-hmm. So when I went into the studio, all of those songs were written on an acoustic guitar. Okay. That's typically how I, how I flesh out a song. 
So I wrote all of them on an acoustic. And then when I went into the studio, obviously I wanted a full band sound. So any leads that you hear on that, lead solos, lead licks, were made up on the fly in the studio. I didn't write them before. Nice. It was just what I was feeling in the moment. So it's actually... To me, anyway, it, it's very real. It was just about what I was feeling in the moment, and mm-hmm. whatever came out is what ended up on there. So that was really neat. That's a cool way to do that. Mm-hmm. I love not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, me too. Yeah, especially with something like a guitar solo. I hear, I hear lots of lead guitar players all the time when they're talking about their recording process, and they like have an idea for a solo going into... The, the recording session for a song and then they get there and they just were like you know what this isn't what I want to do and then a lot of the times producers will just be like well just play just play a solo of, of what you're feeling right now and what you're feeling with the song and that usually ends up being what's put onto an album it makes it so much more real yeah you know like you can really capture the emotion like one of the best riffs in my opinion I've ever made is on King Chris mm-hmm. that like that little thing like that just came out of nowhere man like tony was like okay like plug in see what happens and that was like the first thing that came out and i'm like oh cool (laughs) so i like went off of that and the rest just came out so yeah super cool yeah we're gonna talk about that song a little bit later because uh we're it just so happens that we're recording this on the four-year anniversary of chris cornell's death yeah, rest in peace, Rest man. in peace, Chris. Um, but I guess while we're on it, I, I actually had a note about that exact lead line because I was wondering uh, if there was a inspiration or anything behind that. Like if you took kind of inspiration for that lead line from any like Soundgarden or Audio Slave song or was that just something like you were saying that kind of just came out in the moment? Yeah, man, it was completely just in the moment. I was sitting on Tony's couch and we were listening back to the uh to the scratch track like mm-hmm. the rhythm scratch and i was like i was like i think i can make something for that and i just started messing around and that it just happened it just came out of nowhere and as soon as i did it he's like okay we're using that like we switched over cuz i had just finished all of my rhythm for mm-hmm. for that song and we just we found the tone we wanted and we hammered that out in like half an hour or something like that cool. i got all of my takes for that which was really cool but super proud of that, man. It just like, yeah, because I that's loved a, how it turned out. That's a pretty kind of memorable, like besides the the content of that song. That's a pretty memorable part of memorable part of that song because it's kind of like your hook at the same time, like without using it's a any great, lyrics. It's, a, it's, it's like, exactly that. It's a great hook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. I I really appreciate you saying that. It was uh, yeah. That's cool. I got lucky, but that <laughs> it all goes back to like what I was saying, man. Like you practice and things come out. Mm-hmm. randomly and when it happens just indulge the moment totally i was gonna laugh when you say you got lucky you got lucky by practicing every day for at least 10 minutes <laughs> since you were 15 years old like <laughs> no, i guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> no no one's an overnight success right but there's lots of work that goes into it so you definitely came up with a great hook but it wasn't luck man it, it was you <laughs> well thanks man i yeah. really appreciate you saying that <laughs> Uh, you mentioned that you go into the studio uh, with your songs written on acoustic. So do you have all your lyrics and and uh, uh, structure for the song b- written beforehand? And do you go in to the studio like with more songs than you actually track? Or like, how do you manage B-sides, for lack of a better term? Well, 
I'm kind of like weird in that way because I I haven't really had to pick a lot of songs. To be honest, I like write them and if I'm if if it's something that I think I'll play again, in my mind it deserves to be on an album and then once hmm. it's on the album I never have to play that if I don't want to. Right. Like I got a couple songs that I just probably will never play again in my life cuz they're recorded, which is fine. Yeah. But that was the whole whole reason uh for recording that. So, but no, I I I have all of my stuff pre-written before I go in so I don't waste any time. And I've actually gotten more efficient about it now because I demo stuff at home. Like I, I started recording demos this November, which I had never done before. So mm. now I just record all of my stuff in this little tiny home trailer. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then when I go into the studio, it's already prepared. Um, as, at least as far as like lyrics and harmonies and that kind of thing. And then I'll still, I think I'll always just do my leads improvisation because it's just, it yeah. just works. Nice. Cool. And kind of a, a derailment from this topic about your album. I'm actually just curious. Do you actually have a tiny home? You've mentioned it a few times and I I <laughs> and I am just I just wanna like go back to that for a second. Give us give us a quick it, little it tour. It kind of is. But it's like so essentially we bought a twenty eight foot travel trailer. Okay. Yeah. And we renovated it into ah, a nice. tiny home. Cause we knew we were gonna live here for at least probably two years before we buy our house like when we moved out here we uh we put our condo up for rent in calgary and we just left we just bought this thing rented it and left and it's it's perfect like i mean it's big enough for me and my dog and i got all my albums up and and uh and my wife like we we love it it's just wicked. That's cool. awesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you mentioned it a few times. Like, hold on a second. I think we're actually talking about a tiny home here, not just like a small dwelling. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I wish it was like a real, real tiny home. And I'm lucky enough, actually, with my job, I get to work on some real ones, which is really cool. Nice. Um, so, like, I just, I actually just finished one by the Departure Bay Ferries that was like, it's smaller than my travel trailer. Hmm. But super cool. So it's super common out here, actually. Oh yeah, nice. There you go. Yeah. Uh, before you were talking a little bit about uh, like writer's block and how that can be really challenging for you and for someone, um, for someone in a band that, like you were saying, that other kind of players in the band rely on you as a main lyricist to bring those like lyrics forward or even guitar stuff forward. So I was curious if there was any, well, during this solo record, if there was any complications of like writer's block or any kind of situations that you kind of found yourself into that were a little tough to dig yourself out of or what kind of, what was happening there? There was one instance um, in something close to human, the solo part in there, I knew I wanted a talk box solo Hmm. and I must've done like 40 different solos and i just wasn't getting it i wasn't getting it and tony was on the same page with me he's like he's like man like let's just take a break and smoke a dube and see what happens right so that's what we did we took a little bit of a break and we're like talking about it and i kind of knew where i wanted to go mm-hmm. um and then that first take after we got back into the studio after our break is what ended up on the album. It just like okay. all of a sudden flowed, but I definitely, I was challenged by that one a little bit because I, I wanted it to sound alien. Hmm. Like the whole song is basically, I wrote it. I had the flu so bad. 
This is when I was living with Josh Morrison, like so bad, man. And uh, <laughs> I watched the Alien trilogy. I watched Signs. <laughs> I watched Avatar. I just like yeah. I hooked into that sci-fi realm, and I'm like, I gotta write a song about this, and it just like clicked. All of a sudden, hmm. I had lyrics, and I'm like, okay, cool. And then I wrote that uh, that rhythm riff, which okay. I think is the one Kyle was talking about earlier with the. Uh, the strange timing and stuff like that. But I think, yeah, it I was, think so. Uh, yeah. That that's that song also, that talk box solo was another one of my own talking points is uh I love how it comes out of the vocals and just goes into a solo. Like it actually surprised me the first time I'm like, oh we're in a solo now. Like I, I thought you were screaming and I was like, Kyle's screaming? And I was like, Oh, that's a guitar. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, dude. That was uh totally Peter Frampton inspired. Cool. Okay. Yep. Like if you ever listen to Do You Feel Like We Do? That's uh, I learned how to do that with my talk box so I could make my guitar talk, and, and that's how we did that. Nice. Huh. Cool. Yeah. Love it. Such a cool tool. touched on briefly about how with this album you you kind of didn't really have like any extra songs that you brought into it um and so you kind of had like those like nine or ten songs um that you kind of knew were going to be on the album so i was wondering too like how you find um like how you find genuine things to write about because it seems like like you were saying it seems like when you write a song and if you go back to it and want to play that song again then you're just going to put it on the album so i was curious as to kind of how you find yeah like genuine things to to write about and end up putting it on there that's a really good question i think most of the time it comes from like an emotional state Hmm. like a few songs that are on there like uh like come clean and rehab and uh um, even Mount Dumont, they're all kind of like about relationships in one way or another. And okay. I tend to gravitate towards that because whether it's like goodness in a relationship or like problems in a relationship or previous relationships, I think I, I dive into those quite a bit. And that, mm-hmm. you know, being like a true thing from my life gives me inspiration in that way. Um, and then every once in a while you have like strange anomalies, like, uh, um, like something close to human where I wrote it after listening to those alien movies or, uh, my burdens. That was another one. I wrote that one 
and that one wasn't even actually going to be on the album. Like it was kind of one of those ones I was on the fence about and Tony like tipped the scales and he's like, bro, you have to, like I showed it to him and he just wanted to record it. So, um, but that one I wrote about, well, it would have been Christmas 20, 2016 or 2017 or something like that. Mm. And my stepdad's parents were in town and they're like in their mid eighties. And I just noticed them, you know, like I started realizing like, you know, I had lost my grandparents. These guys are looking old, frail and fragile. And, um, and it kind of just brought me to a space where I wanted to say something about like Hmm. how maybe people harbor regret in their life and hope that when somebody reminisces on a story about them, that it like paints the picture of who they actually were as a person, not necessarily like the negative or positive acts of their life, but just like Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, lets you know who they were, even though they're not there anymore. So that's kind of what that song's about too. Cool. So also being on this, the, the unfortunate anniversary of Chris Cornell's death, we, uh, we mentioned before, or you mentioned before you had a, you have a song called King Chris, which is your tribute to Mr. Cornell. Yes. I wanted to, before we dive into the actual song, um, if you uh, want to talk about it, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of hear from you as someone that's like a super fan uh, about kind of like uh, the day that you found out like four years ago about what happened and kind of what that was like for you and, and what his musical legacy, like how it had such an impact on you. Okay. Yeah. Um, I remember exactly what happened that morning. Um, Josh Morrison messaged me first thing in the morning. I'd like literally just woken up. Like it was probably six o'clock and I'm sitting at my, my, uh, countertop eating my breakfast at the breakfast bar. And I get this message and it's like, I'm so sorry for your loss, bro. That's all it said. Hmm. And I'm like, who died, man? Like, I thought, like, maybe one of my friends died or, like, my brother or, like, you know, like, my mind went a million different places. It never went to, like, you know, like, a famous idol or anything. So I'm, like, scrambling because I replied to it and I'm like, what happened, you Mm -hmm. know? And I never got anything back for, like, ten minutes. So I'm just sitting there going, like, what the hell? Like, you know, what happened? So I hopped onto Facebook and all of a sudden, like, my thread is just Chris Cornell. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, I just got, like, the shivers and the goosebumps, and, like, mm-hmm. I'm even getting them right now. Like, I'm just, I remember sitting there and just being so bummed out and going to work and just thinking about it all day and, like, wondering mm. how you can, how you can go from playing, like, a monster show somewhere in Michigan, I think it was in Detroit, and leaving and going to the hotel and killing yourself Mm -hmm. like i just i couldn't fathom how that was like the headspace because you go from such a high being on this monster stage with your bandmates and playing a killer show and then going home alone to your hotel room and doing what he did so yeah like that that was super hard and i think uh that kind of inspired that like that energy stayed with me for like weeks after it happened, I couldn't stop listening to Temple of the Dog and Soundgarden because I never 
personally got to actually see him. Mm. I came up with all these excuses, like, you know, he came through with Soundgarden at the Dome, and I never got to go and see it. I didn't have the money at the time, and I'm like, oh, I'll catch him next time. And then he, you know, like a year later, same thing, he came through solo, and I couldn't afford it. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I'll catch him next time, you know, like, whatever, I'll, I'll get him eventually. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, he passes away, so that kind of left me with that feeling like I never actually got to see one of the people that influences me most and is like my favorite all-time artist live in the flesh, which as a super fan is like, how does that even happen? Mm-hmm. How do you allow yourself to get that way? So anyway, dwelling on that feeling um, led me three days later to writing King Chris on my couch, and it only took me about five minutes to write it, like started with that that intro riff mm. i wrote like i kept that kind of going and it all just flowed the lyrics came right out of me the guitar mm-hmm. parts came right out of me it was just uh just one of those one of those moments but pure emotion mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting to know that though that song and those lyrics were written so fresh after that because i was curious if if it was something yeah. that yeah. was written right after or if it was something that was written like for this session, like within this last year kind of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like three days after, man, it was just, I picked up my guitar and had to get something out. And that's Mm -hmm. just what, what happened. And I'm so happy that I did because it's like, in my opinion, it's probably one of my best songs that I've ever written just as far as like relatability. Mm -hmm. Cause it, it could, I mean, like we know that it's about Chris Cornell, but maybe a lot of people would, be able to view the lyrics in a way that it's like any any sort of close friend going through a struggle um they could relate to that feeling and for me that's kind of what he was you know like even though i didn't actually know him personally um just the idea that like his music has gotten me through some of my darkest times Mm -hmm. in my life like that what what is a friend if not that something that helps you get through right totally Yeah. yeah definitely it's funny you say that because I was actually going to, in one of my notes, I wrote that in the lyrics that it almost sounded like you were writing the lyrics as you were like a friend of his. Yeah. And like how you could like recognize like how he was struggling and, and like you were wondering why whatever was affecting him was affecting him so much. Because um, mm-hmm. that one line you have that says, I know it's tough, but you could have said something. I was wondering kind of yeah. what your thought process was behind that line because it was almost like you were you were saying like reach out yeah reach out Go like if you're struggling like why wouldn't you why wouldn't you do anything about yeah. it that's exactly what it is man i just i felt like like even if you're put up on a pedestal and you're a huge rock star and you know known the world over you still have those interpersonal struggles and you have I guess in that circumstance, because obviously we're not famous, we don't necessarily know what they go through on a day-to-day basis, and maybe it's pretty lonely not being able to talk to people. Like, I know Justin Bieber's spoken out about how he doesn't feel like he has anybody he can kind of relate to on a personal level because he's, like, a superstar. Mm -hmm. I feel like that was kind of maybe the same thing, but at the same time, like, even those guys do still have somebody that they can confide in when they're feeling down. And totally. I felt at the time that uh, that 
he could have just taken that opportunity to like go and talk to his wife or talk to his kids, Mm -hmm. pick up the phone and be like, look, like I'm, I'm not feeling so hot. Like, why don't you come out here and be with me on this tour and help me get through or, or whatever, you know? So, and especially now in this day and age with mental health being what it is, I think more people need to speak out about it and make it not so, uh, you know, not so hard to talk about because everybody goes through their own struggles. Mm. And I think we've all been to a low point in our lives where you feel kind of like that, you know, maybe not severe manic depression, but like certainly, um, you get low points that are really hard to get through and without your friends and family and people to talk to and vent to about it. Yeah. You just hold that inside and that's kind of the outcome, right? Mm -hmm. You can't handle it anymore. Yeah, for sure. And, And actually on that note, uh, one of the things that I think is important to mention is that everyone experiences their own downtimes to a different degree. So comparing your downtime to someone else's downtime in general is is never the answer. Like if you're feeling down and you need support, it doesn't matter what the problem is. Like you're experiencing emotional distress. So it doesn't matter if you stepped on an ant and he felt it hurt his feelings or if someone really close to you died. Like, like you're experiencing yeah. it. So get help mm-hmm. as you need it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think people need to speak out and just, you know, don't be ashamed of it because we all go through it to, you know, some way or another, we all go through it. So Mm -hmm. take the time to listen for sure. You can. Yeah. I almost wonder just thinking about this now, but what you're saying about that is just, I wonder if that's what ultimately led to Chester Bennington and what happened with him. Because I remember hearing that like Chris Cornell was such a huge, like a huge figure in Chester's life and mm-hmm. his suicide happened within, it was a couple weeks. Like a month. Yeah. Yeah. Like of, of, it was so quick. So I almost wonder if, I mean, obviously I can't speak for anything. This is just completely just off the cuff speculation. Yeah. yeah. But I almost wonder if, if Chester was kind of feeling like, well, now my support is gone. So who's left for me kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of, kind of just made I me mean, think about what kind of might have yeah. ultimately I mean, that was that. a big loss to so many people themselves. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, our age group grew up with Linkin Park. Like I remember totally. when their first album came out and I went out and bought it and I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, like, what is this? Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm like 13, like just this little punk kid listening to that stuff. And just like, you can tell in a lot of his songs, like even, even Chris Cornell's songs now, like I listen back and I, you can tell that they're talking about personal struggles and a mm-hmm. lot of stuff. Fell on Black Days, he's like talking yeah. about being bummed right out. Yeah. You know, like a lot of that stuff, when you go back and you listen to it, it just kind of, it brings that, that energy out and you kind of realize like, you know, they were going through struggles the whole time. And especially for, sure. for Chester, like so much about what he talks about is like his struggles when he was a kid, he was like assaulted sexually and stuff. And, and I think that weighs heavy on people's minds. So like, that's like probably the best thing to write about because that's what you truly feel you need to express and tell mm-hmm. people. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think they were probably pretty cro- closely related and that was probably a huge blow to to his uh his social life yeah his friendship his personal mental health 
you know mm-hmm. and his psyche yeah yeah totally yeah is there anything else kyle or mudge that you want to touch on kind of about the your solo album here um no go listen to it <laughs> like i just i want to tell people to go listen to it and like oh. and uh i'd love love to get feedback and see what people think and i mean if you like it awesome cool and if you don't awesome cool like you know everybody uh everybody yeah. has their own taste in music and stuff but i love to hear feedback on it and maybe um maybe i can use that feedback on future albums totally to take a cliche if you like it tell your friends if you don't like it tell your enemies <laughs> yeah yeah there you go, there you go. <laughs> man another one <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I Kyle think, I think yeah. Kyle just writes these all down in a book, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna bust this one out today." <laughs> I, I'm ho- I actually don't have them in a book, but I'm hoping that one day they make them into a book. That's why I'm publicizing them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there you, there you go. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, Mudge, quickly, yeah. why don't you why don't you tell everyone where we can go to uh, listen or to buy your new album? Sure. Um, it's out on iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify. I think Pandora. It's on pretty much any of the major, um, major distribution sites. Um, so you can pick it up there. I think like if you have a Apple membership, you can just stream it for free. Um, if you buy it, it certainly helps me towards my next one. So mm-hmm. anybody who's purchased my album, big thank you because that uh, it really does help. Like to put it into perspective, because I I. I wanted to talk to you guys about this too, because I think you had asked me earlier about it. But uh, mm-hmm. what an artist actually pays over their career for their music is just like astronomical. Mm-hmm. Like what people what people expect is like, oh yeah, you recorded it in a basement; it cost you like a couple hundred bucks. This album cost me four grand. So, in order to that's just recording so in order to like recoup that cost on spotify through streaming or mm-hmm. apple through streaming you only get like one cent per stream so i need four hundred thousand streams to make my money back on that which is cool i don't necessarily do it to make my money back i do it for me right. but uh but if you purchase that album i get like i think they sell for like 9.99 i probably get like 750 or something from it Right. Like okay. iTunes will take their piece, but I still make a little bit of dough back from that. So Which means so you're almost getting a dollar it, per thanks. song at that, right? Like when they're purchasing it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it makes a that's makes a, a huge difference. So Yeah. Yeah. But I mean like any artist that's putting things out on a platform, um, not only are you recording and it's costing you that money and your time, but just to put it up on TuneCore which is the distribution site I use. Some people use like CD Baby and other ones. Um, it costs you, for the first year, it's 39 bucks an album. And then it's 80 bucks an album every year after that. So hmm. I can put my album up for 40 bucks, but then the next year it's going to cost me 80 and I got to pay that every year. So as long as I can make my money back just to pay for itself to stay on there, that's pretty much all I care about. Just trying to make sure huh. I don't have to pay out of pocket for each album. Because if you get like, say you get 10 albums, that's 800 bucks a year you got to pay. Wow. Just to keep it online. So, I mean, it's ever, uh, it's a challenge, yeah. to just say nic- the least. Cause it's like, yeah, just nickels and dimes you forever. 
it does yeah yeah like i i i totally love like streaming platforms like i love the idea that it's like anybody can hear my music like i've had plays in germany and tokyo and australia and all sorts of places that it's just like how did you hear that Mm -hmm. but um but it like it definitely makes access to unsigned artists way better as opposed to like having to go on tour like the old days and like go and do the loops to get people to hear your music right however the cost of it can be hard especially just because most musicians don't make a lot of money especially not from their music so just keeping that stuff on is kind of a challenge in itself Mm -hmm. so yeah absolutely man well thanks for sharing that because that's uh, definitely eye-opening and i'm sure eye-opening for the listeners as well yeah yeah like to put it into perspective i my numbers may be a little bit off here but like uh peter frampton's a perfect example if you look up what he made on baby i love your way at the time when spotify first came out like they've adjusted things since i i believe but i think he made like uh it was like 70 million listens or something like that and he only got like two grand off it like it was nothing yeah yeah so things have changed a little bit Mm because i think artists kind of went like hey man like this is crazy you're paying me like a third of a cent every stream or whatever so now it's like a cent a stream but (laughs) when i think there's new regulations coming out again to to get artists a little bit more money on streams which is good yeah and that new nft thing is pretty cool too because at least then it's like you know like you get these one-offs from musicians or whatever or limited copies mm-hmm. and people buy the physicals so they can recoup their costs and stuff like that which i think is super awesome because you upload your music to all of these streaming websites and people can stream them for basically free aside from their membership cost right um which is fantastic like people can listen to my music all over the world and i'm like i get messages and stuff from all sorts of places hey i really like your album that's so so cool and we couldn't do that even even 10 years ago you couldn't do that so Mm -hmm. that's uh i think it's a major step forward however i think those guys should give a little bit more credit to the artists who are making them billions of dollars because they upload and you know or have us pay instead of like um annual fees pay like uh a one-time fee like if it costs me like 150 bucks to put my album up Mm -hmm. it stays up there until i want it off because if you think about how many artists are actually recording and putting that up they're still making a killing off that totally that's all good to know and that's exactly why kyle and i kind of try and feature artists like we we put it into our show notes on every episode of of just different artists and, and how important it is like especially in these days when bands like for the last year and a half haven't been able to tour and anything like that how important Mm -hmm. it is to just if you like a band or like an artist just go and buy like some physical copies of stuff or some merch or anything because especially if they can't tour some big time yeah that's where they're making their money now too because if you think about it like the music industry has changed so much yeah. Like the landscape from 20 years ago to now is just completely different. Like once, once iTunes came out and like streaming, well, actually I think it was since Napster came out or LimeWire. If you guys remember all of those things yeah. where you'd go home and you'd <laughs> mm-hmm. download your favorite thing. Cause it was free, but you'd get like a bunch of viruses on your computer. Yeah. yeah. It was so worth it. since, 
<laughs> it was right at the time that was like the best thing ever because yeah. we were kids and didn't have the 10 bucks for an album but like those platforms changed music history right it basically was like okay people aren't for physical copies they want to carry around a thousand songs in their pocket wicked but even big artists like I don't want to say Metallica because they're probably still making an absolute killing even on like one cent a stream. But that is the struggle. Like they used to make so much money off of royalties, mm -hmm. even with the record label, you know, like I think James Hetfield's were $200 million, you know, like he's got like, they used to get paid royalties from every disc sold kind of thing. Now it's like you get one cent per stream. So even if you're getting, a million streams what is that 10 grand mm -hmm. yeah yeah like it's not that much really when you think about it so even the big bands make their money on tour now yeah i think that's exactly yeah. why you've seen kind of an explosion with or that i've noticed with a bunch of bands and it seems to be rock bands like teaming up with these like alcohol companies to make like beer or make like whiskey and i saw like metallica teamed up with billabong to put out like a clothing surfing line and it's like <laughs> you know that they're only doing this out of like out of even for metallica like out of necessity because i yeah. think they can only Gotta make so bills, much right yeah that's right it's <laughs> it's like branding 101 is partnering with an uh, already established brand right or, or a bigger brand and, totally. and making a partnership right so yeah that's uh yeah 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 it makes a huge difference so yeah, yeah. anyway so, so I guess uh, before we start wrapping up here, I just had one more question for you, Kyle. Uh, if you were to go back to yourself, and this is for our listeners that are here to like learn stuff and, and whatnot, but if you were to go back to yourself as a blossoming musician or, or even a blossoming young man, what is something that you would tell yourself? Don't make bad analogies on podcasts. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's that's what I would tell myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I would say, honestly, just practice. Pick that thing up. It doesn't matter if you feel like you don't have the time or you're just sitting there watching Netflix. Noodle. Go and experiment. Play with people. And my biggest fault, I think, when I was first starting out is I was so picky about the shows that I would play. Hmm. So, like, with Silent Army as a perfect example, I had a little bit of the lead singer ego syndrome. You know how we all get that sometimes if you're, or not we all, but lead singers in particular. Yeah, lead singer syndrome. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I certainly acknowledge now that I had a bit of that because I was very picky about what shows we played. And I was adamant that they had to be something, which I still believe is true to a degree. But if I could go back, I would play out of town all the time. Mm -hmm. Go and tour in that van and go and enjoy yourself and make those memories because that is like, you know, the true bonding of bands through music. And then when you get back, if you haven't played a big hometown show, throw that cd release party or throw that video premiere party and make it a big thing because all your other shows are going to be that small thing but when you come home that should be the tasty big reward that you get for all of that stuff <laughs> cool that, okay. that's that's really good advice because of course that's not how i approached it as a young musician either <laughs> no not at all and, and that that's yeah. that's very cool yeah yeah i think it's so important you know so many of us get caught up in like you want to have that great show every single time, but it just doesn't mm -hmm. work that way. You know, you kind of right. got to, you, 
you kind of got to just go out and play as many shows as possible and get really good. And then when you come home, people really want to see you because you haven't been there. Totally. So what's next for Kyle Mudge in the, in the music world or in, or in life in general, but what's, uh, what's coming out of the woodwork here in the next little bit? Well, I have, uh, I've been demoing a 10, (laughs) I've been demoing a 10 song album in the trailer. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting ready to go back into the studio for another solo full length. Um, and this one will be more straightforward driven rock. I'm not throwing in any subgenres. It's going to be pretty well, uh, rock and roll. And then I've got another project with my good buddy. So that city life, uh, project that I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. we're back together now. So we're going to, we're recording a five song EP that we're demoing right now. And then this fall, I have a four song acoustic EP that I finished recording in Calgary before I moved out here. So we're just putting the final touches on the mixes and that will be out probably October, I think. Oh, awesome. So a lot of, a lot of good yeah, stuff so coming, lots, coming out there. Lots of music. Yep. Just keeping busy. So cool. yeah. Anybody that likes my stuff can look forward to any of that. And they all have different vibes. City life is very, mm-hmm. uh, very indie kind of alternative indie sound then i've got my like rock and roll stuff and then this acoustic ep is kind of a subtle you know chill vibe cool still rock though cool yeah what's the so what's the best place for us and for anyone listening to uh go and follow you and kind of keep up to date with what you've got going on here um you can catch me on Facebook, I've got my uh, Mudge Music profile. You can just look up Mudge on Facebook and it should pop up. And then um, I've got Instagram, Mudge Music and Photography. Okay. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. If you've got me as a friend on Facebook, I'm, I'm sure you probably see me posting about music all the time. So, yep. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> that's also a good place to find me. You can just look me up, Kyle Mudge. I'll accept you. <laughs> nice. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that about that about does it for this this episode, this rendition. Um, we wanted to thank you again, Kyle Mudge, for for jumping on and joining us again. It's been a long it's been a long long time, but it was really 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 great to catch up with you. <laughs> yeah, it's been super. Yeah, fun. thank you guys so much. It's like I was looking forward to this all week, so it was it was really nice to see your guys's faces because it's been <laughs> a million years, and uh, mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm all for supporting. You know, like you guys keep doing what you're doing because it's so cool. Appreciate Thanks, that. Man. Yeah. So as always, um, just remember to like and subscribe, follow, leave ratings, reviews for our podcast. Uh, that really helps. Um, and then in our show notes below, we're going to put links to uh, anything you're up to much. So we'll put links to your Facebook, your Instagram, uh, and to Spotify and Apple Music so people can go and check out your, your latest album. Wicked. And then with your with your permission at the end of this episode too, we're gonna play I think we're gonna play the King Chris uh Chris Cornell tribute just because one, it was a Absolutely. it was a fantastic song and two, just it seems fitting on the anniversary of, of his passing. So Well, thank you guys so much and thank you for uh for taking the time to listen to me ramble. <laughs> it, it, it was it was a lot of fun man you had a lot of really good uh good points and some good laughs and I, i've had a blast so yeah it's been great me too 
So thanks everyone out there for Wicked. listening and for uh, and listening to this podcast. And we will see you again next week. All right, boys. Cool.
everyone, it's Kyle here. Thanks again for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Please take a second to follow us on all of our social media. Links to our pages and any other material we talked about today are in the show notes below. Check back in next month for some additional conversation, laughs, and new music. And we wanted to give a big thank you to Adam's sister, Amanda Rishog, for designing our podcast cover image. She's a beautifully talented artist that has a tattoo shop here in Calgary called Living Prayer Tattoo. She specializes in fine line work, sacred geometry, and botanicals. Follow her online handle at Living Prayer Tattoo on Facebook and on Instagram, where you can find all of her work and booking information. And lastly, thanks again to Phoenix Song Productions for the continued technical and financial support, which helped make this podcast possible. We'll see you next time.